Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Select episodes will be featured on the Great Shot podcast feed, but make sure you also subscribe to No Ad, No Problem on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. I hope you all had enjoyable and safe holidays and that your new year is off to a great start. Today's show is focused on predictions for the 2023 college tennis season, which is finally here. We'll predict our singles and team NCAA champions, as well as some other fun ones along the way. Joining me on the show after a month hiatus is Ethan Moskowski. Ethan, welcome back. How'd you enjoy your month off? Thank you. Good to be here. It's been... uh been very restful slept a lot didn't read at all it's been great i have 10 more days before i get back to work uh with law school so uh really looking forward to doing this and looking forward to uh college tennis season getting started gosh i'm very jealous of the six weeks off 10 more days sounds lovely but i don't envy you going back to second semester (laughs) of your first year in law school so it sounds like you have had a relaxing kind of six weeks. Uh, Talk to me about what these players have been doing at these kind of elite D one schools since, you know, they take finals in December, they have kind of a a similar break, right? Maybe like four ish weeks. Um, What are they doing during this time off? How much time is spent on campus versus home? What's the communication like with the team and the coaches? Walk me through that. So typically finals end and almost everybody, at least in my experience at UVA, goes home or or does something like that for a little bit, checks out for a little bit, a week maybe, uh, maybe maybe a week or two. But even then, you're still hitting tennis balls a lot. The guys who are going home, whether that's you know to a different part of the country or going home, meaning going back to Europe or Asia, they're hitting the ground there and training basically. But it's nice. It gives everyone an opportunity to sort of check back in with their family, usually spend Christmas and New Year's with your family or at least someplace other than school. Uh, and then at, in my experience at UVA, uh, New Year's happens. And then within a day or two, we're back uh, on grounds. And then once you're back, you're hitting the ground running. It's it's usually two a day practices with a lift. You're really sort of burning the wicket both ends for a little bit, making sure that that everybody's on the same page, that the team is really ready to get going come come the first match. Because usually from the time everybody touches back down at school, you have max two weeks basically before yeah. your before your first match. So you have to make sure you you really make the most of that time. The fun stuff that gets done in that in that time is you iron out the doubles teams. There's a lot of competition internally. You're usually playing a lot of matches. There's a lot of, you know, live ball point play, not a lot of technical work, except if a player really wants it. Uh, so it sort of changes the scope and and the look of practice. Uh, usually at UVA, there was a demand that as we got closer and closer to those first matches, the intensity sort of got ratcheted up a little bit each day so that, you know, come, I know at UVA this year, January 17th is their first match. Come January 15th or 14th, the environment is really very similar to what you're doing in that hour before you before you play your first match. Actually, they they want to really replicate the intensity, the process, the mindset, all those things. That way, especially for the young guys who haven't done it before, 
there's a familiarity with the feeling. You can't obviously replicate the nerves, but the excitement, the the sort of camaraderie within the team. It, it, this is a really fun time for teams to de- develop their culture, their personality as a unit. You know, you're you're eating three meals a day together, or four if that's more your speed. You're doing all of your training together. You're in the car constantly together. You're hanging out every night. There's at least at UVA, there's no no one else there. It's like mm, you know, the tennis team point. will be there. Yeah, the basketball team will be there. Some other sports will be there as they prep to start their seasons as well. But there are no regular students there. It's it's athletes, and so you're spending time with your group you're eating all your meals together. You're, you're sort of developing the, the energy that the team operates with then for the rest of the season. It's, it's where you make some of your closest friends, you usually figure out who you're going to be rooming with when you travel in those two weeks. It's, it's a, it's a really fun time. It's a hard time. There's a lot of excitement. You're sort of just itching to get going because you're working quite hard and you're like, just give me a dual match because that's, that's the payoff, right? That's the fun part that everybody looks forward to. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty busy time uh, for most of those teams right now. They're they're working quite hard. I guarantee it. Yeah, sounds like it. And no, I know we talk about the fall season being individuals, and maybe that sometimes gets referred to as preseason. But what you're describing sounds sort of like a two to three week sprint of like the truest yeah. sense of a preseason. Yeah, it's 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 time to you know cross your t's and dot your i's and make sure that when that first match happens, whether it's this weekend, next weekend, or, you know, sometimes slightly thereafter, all of, there are no questions left. You, yep. you know, you might have to work things out. You might have to work on some stuff. It's not going to be a perfect product in January. You kind of hope it isn't in fact, like you want to get better as the season goes on, but you want to make sure that when that first ball gets hit, everyone's ready emotionally, physically, you, no one has time to be out of shape. It's, it's time to, it's time to get get going and and really turn your eyes towards the big goal, which is you know constructing a season that ends with a national title. Yep. You mentioned no questions left uh, during this past month. We had some questions answered, answered about yes. uh, a few teams across the country with various players. You know, in I think December we were kind of chatting about going pro or coming back to college. We had a list of players that were on the short list of will they, won't they. Uh, I'm going to run through the list and just kind of share current status update. You tell me which of these decisions has the greatest impact on 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 these teams. All right. Uh, Gob Diallo, he decides to go pro at, at, at Kentucky. Arthur Ferry, Stanford, he's back. Johannes Monday, Tennessee, someone you had a gut feeling was going pro. He is back on campus. Mike Liam Draxel. It betrayed you. I, I'm blaming Alex Gruskin on that one. He kind of planted that seed. Uh, Liam Draxel at Kentucky appears to be back. I think he is yep. is in the United States. Um, Abdullah Shelby of Florida. He has gone pro. Of those names, uh, whether they're back or go pro, which of these has the biggest impact on kind of our incoming predictions, will you say? Yeah, I mean, I would say Gab Diallo leaving Kentucky is, to me, it's the biggest one. And, and it's sort of hard to judge when players choose to leave against when players choose to come back because we'd sort of been constructing our view of Tennessee and Stanford with the vision that Monday would be there and Ferry would be there because it's just easier to to speculate that way. But, I mean, in my mind, Kentucky was essentially returning a pretty similar team to the one that 
had made a run to a national final. You know, they'd lost two players uh, in Hurian and Musatelli, but in bringing in Ayeni, uh, in bringing in Tahabadi, a transfer, and bringing in some, you know, some good recruits, you felt, okay, you know, those top two with Draxel and Diallo are among the best top twos in the country. This team's going to be fine. You know, they're, they're going to be right back in the mix. They're still in the conversation, I think, just just because of the way the men's tennis landscape sort of is right now. I think Kentucky, it's not fair to wipe them away from the conversation, but uh, it's become a much taller mountain to climb, I think, for them. You know, the the perk of having one of Liam Draxler, Gab Diallo playing two, which is not a position that most schools can just slip into their back pocket and say, most days we're good on two. Kentucky was pretty close to that with one of those guys playing court two, sort of the way we talked about Florida last year with Sam Riffis playing two. Now it's uphill sledding a little bit. It, you know, it's going to be much harder. They're going to have to win a lot more matches in a, in a variety of ways rather than saying, Hey, more days than not, we can count on two. That's a point for us. Now they're going to have to get a little bit more creative and find more of a diversity of routes to four points. Because, yeah, Gabe Diallo was a huge part of of that run that they went on last year of why a lot of us were so high on them this year. So, yeah, I would say losing him is is the is the biggest impact move that we've sort of gotten sorted here in the last couple of weeks. Yep. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that, you know, they're still in the conversation, but it's a big step back um, and really just tough to fill those shoes. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, look, it made sense for Diallo. He's, you know, going to be probably cracking into the top 200 shortly. So um, best of luck to him in his pro career. Just the growth that he showed in college tennis is sort of a testament to the growth and maturing and the development that you can do in college tennis. So you know, he will continue to be um, a really strong uh, figurehead for college tennis as he kind of starts his, his nascent pro career. Um, So we got answers on who was going pro, who was coming back where we didn't get as many answers and we're still a little bit in the dark is around who's eligible. So we had been (laughs) chatting about four names. We had Jack Pennington Jones at TCU. We had Diana Schneider at NC State. We had Alex Vekic of Georgia, and we had Reese Brantmeyer of North Carolina. I don't know if we will see Pennington Jones, Schneider, who is you know top one ten in the WTA ranking. She's down in Australia right now. Um, Alex Vekic. I don't know if we will see any of them on campus this spring. Well, we will see them on campus. We just don't know if they will be eligible and playing. Uh, the last one I do feel fairly confident in is Reese Brantmeyer. I do believe she is eligible for the spring. We should start to see her in these upcoming dual matches. But it feels a little Bicknell-esque, right, where we're kind of waiting yeah. early in the season to be like, will they show up? Will they yeah. be on court? Yeah, what do you make of it? I mean, it's interesting because I would say certainly I thought in the Pennington-Jones case and in Schneider's case, the coaches in the coaches poll sort of priced them in. Yep. Right. Like that, I think that's the best way to to sort of phrase it, which is to to me, this TCU team is very similar to last year's TCU team, but without JC Aguilar, who is a huge part of them winning indoors, being the number one overall seed coming into uh coming into NCAs. And so I wasn't quite so high on them without Jack Pennington Jones. The coaches have ranked them third to start the year which leads me to believe that at least some coaches are uh somewhat of the belief that he might be eligible because I don't think without him I don't think TCU is the third best team 
Yeah. The same can be said for and almost exactly the same can be said for NC State, which is that team with or without Diana Schneider with them. They're a national. I mean, we'll get into this. They're a real legitimate national championship contender at indoors at NCAAs. They have probably the best player in the country on their team without. They're very similar to last year's NC State team. Yep. You know, so. Yet they're one of the teams that we see a big, you know, they wind up ranked a lot higher coming into this preseason than they finished last season. Why? Because I think coaches are maybe a little bit of the belief that Diana Schneider is eligible and that they're going to have to see her. And and so they ranked NC State as such. Yeah. Um, And on the women's side, that's even more interesting because there are so many teams that can factor into the top five. And I know we're going to talk about that as well. It's um, like you said, it's very Bicknell-esque. We'll be watching the team's Instagram stories as they warm up to, you know, yep. who is, are they in, oh, are they in running shoes? No, they're in, okay, they're warming up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll be doing the whole detective sleuth work, you know, to figure out whether or not we're going to see them. And the reality is it's very possible that they are eligible, but we won't actually see it until indoors maybe you know that's that's the other opportunity or the other possibility particularly with schneider who like you said is in australia playing australian open qualifying um is she might play australian open qualifying it might go very well she might then come back and we might not actually see her until national indoors because why bother if you're nc state um So, you know, this mystery could go on well into the season, actually. It might not end, you know, next week when matches start. It might end mid-February or March even. We can't go to March. It has to end at indoors, <laughs> right? Because if you're not submitting, we'll I would think in, so. indoor lineups. Like, if they're not on yes, the lineups. Indoor, like... lineups, indoor lineups should be the, you know, exactly. the flop. It should yep. be everyone sort of has to unveil their cards. So we've seen in the past players submitted on indoors uh, rosters who weren't entirely eligible. And we found out that they weren't (laughs) eligible because they were removed from indoors rosters. So it's not impossible that the charade goes on. Yeah. Maybe just like, I mean, if they're not playing indoors, like, yeah, especially in the later rounds, especially in, you know, once you get past the round of 16, especially then those are top eight matches. Those are matches that can help determine you know, whether or not you're a top eight seed at NCAAs, you need to be playing your best lineup at that point. Yeah. Uh, I would assume that, yes, around President's Day weekend earlier, you know, right in that in that yeah. zone, we'll have a much better idea on exactly who is and isn't eligible. Or, by the way, who's eligible and actually playing? Because like we've said in the past, it's very possible Diana Schneider shows up and has a great Australian Open run, makes main draw, maybe even wins around, And then, you know, she could be as eligible as eligibility gets, but we'll never see her play college tennis. Yep. Yeah. So we will have to to wait and see. The waiting game continues in that regard. All right. A few other inputs that we got over kind of this, we'll call it our break. Um, all right. A few parts of bombs I want to discuss with you. I'll briefly run through the player. You tell me how this changes the team's outlook. All yep. right. Salma Ewing, transfer from USC to Texas A&M, former number one player on that USC roster. She comes into a Texas A&M team who had one of their best seasons in history last year, making the NCAA quarterfinals, a team that only lost twice all year, two, four, three matches indoors. Is Texas A&M in the NCAA champion conversation now? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it moves them. Certainly, you know, I know that we're going to talk about this. There's a lot of women's teams, more so women's and men's, in my opinion, that I think have a very decent argument to say we're a national championship contender. I would say Texas A&M before adding Salma Ewing might not have been in the championship contender group. This addition firmly puts them in that conversation. Like if somebody says, I think Texas A&M is going to be a national finalist or win NCAAs this year, it no longer seems unreasonable. I, I would say before this edition, maybe they were a little bit light. Maybe they didn't have quite the depth that they had last year. They you know lost some pieces and without really necessarily filling them with anything particularly special. Now they filled them with something particularly special. Texas A&M is, deserves to be in the conversation. I would probably say I'd expect them to be a top eight seed. They should be hosting three rounds of NCAAs. And if we learned anything really from at least the UVA run last year, once you show up to that final site and it's eight teams, yeah, it's really about who's playing the best tennis for four days. It, it's not it's not about the entire season. So yeah, Texas A&M to me is firmly in the conversation of teams who can say, you know, we think we can win a national title. I think that's that's totally reasonable now. Totally agree. Um, I mentioned this on the Great Shot podcast. I would have them around like that five, six range now yeah. uh, with, yeah. with Salma Ewing, which is firmly given the depth of the women's teams this year, firmly in that conversation to, yes. yeah. you know, to, to win the title in, in Orlando. All right. Next, uh, Anna Campagna, younger sister of Carolyn Campagna, comes over from Wake Forest, joins her older sister as a grand tra- grad transfer at Pepperdine. She had originally committed to San Diego to use her extra eligibility. She now comes in, joins a Pepperdine squad that is extremely talented. Um, you know, one of the highest power six teams in the country, ranked number three. And, but they only had six players, right? So she yeah. comes in, she's the seventh player on the roster. How does this change Pepperdine's outlook? And are they in the NCAA champion conversation? I think they're in the NCAA champion conversation just because of how good their top three is, right? Okay. Like that that is among the best top threes in the country. And now that they have another piece that allows you to say, oh, hey, if somebody gets hurt, they're not going to start defaulting court six. Right it, now, you can really actually believe it when you sort of look at Chen and Czar and Brodus, and you, like you looked at that team, and you said, "Wow, there's a lot of talent here. This team yeah. is really good." But there was always that sort of foreboding thought floating around in the back of your head, that like, "Hey, if somebody gets hurt, yeah, <laughs> this team is literally going to have to lose match, like just default matches and just hand away points." They don't have a ton of depth. Right. But they can lose a player now, which I think you have to you have to have a seven. Certainly you have to have a seven and you have to have a seven that you have some belief in. And this is exactly that. It's not just like they slapped somebody on the roster and said, OK, we now have seven people. Yeah, this is somebody who they actually can probably believe in if they need if they need to use their seven in a pinch. This is this is actually a decent solution. Um yeah. Pepperdine to me, red is a team if they stayed healthy the entire year is a team that could absolutely also win a national title. Now that they have a seven, I feel more confident in saying that. I still don't necessarily know if they're on the like the UNC level, the Texas level, the the NC State level if Schneider plays. I don't I don't know if they're quite there. Okay. But they're another team that is probably you said Texas AM at at, you know, four or five. I would say Pepperdine five, six, seven, right? Somewhere in there 
They're not mm-hmm. quite in that elite, elite, elite category where if Pepperdine were to loot, get upset and miss, you know, the final four or miss the elite eight, it would be a shame, but it wouldn't be shocking, but they could also win an NCAA title. You know, yeah. they're, they're, they're in that in between. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned this on the Pepperdine pod. I feel like we were a little burned with Vicky Flores's performance last year yeah. and coming in a top ACC player comes in and just can't, can't find wins kind of like. Yeah. wherever she plays in the lineup. This is a Pepperdine team who initially only had six players, two of those who were these kind of fifth-year grad transfers. I'm going, oh, yes, they're very good <laughs> players. You just never know yeah. how they're going to show up, right? But now it's like, take a little bit of pressure. It takes a lot of pressure off the players' backs. You can kind of take a little bit of a sigh of relief, even if you're not severely injured. It's just like playing six up every day, doing doubles and singles, like, that's it's hard it's really hard yeah and and it's a long season too and you get bumps and bruises and you want to have players who when you play a match that maybe you're a bit more confident in you want to be able to sit people and not have to play your entire team every day when you're playing you know especially in pepperdine's case where they're not actually in the pac-12 they don't have the toughest conference schedule for them now to be able to sort of strategically rest players here and there so that by the time NCAAs rolled around, they're not completely burned out yep. is is really important, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it gives me a little bit more faith in, in that team. And and they've scheduled sort of smartly. They have some non-conference matches. Obviously, they're going to play all of the you know top California teams because they kind of have to. But it's not crazy. It's not a super aggressive schedule that has them traveling all the time. Like last year, they did a crazy aggressive schedule where they traveled and were on the road indoors yeah. and in the Midwest and in the yeah. Southeast. This well, they year, get those really, teams coming to Malibu. They now. get those teams coming to Malibu and, you know, they're just even, even the the matches where they play other California teams, they're still, you know, a couple of those matches. They play UCLA and Malibu. Yes. They'll have to go to USC, but that's, they'll sleep in their own beds. It's a bus ride. It's not a real road trip at that point, you know, for them, I think that will matter as well. They had to manage their schedule probably more closely than a lot of coaches did just because of lack of personnel. Um, and they've done so kind of carefully, I think. Well, uh, that is probably happenstance, right? Because when they plan that schedule, they I'm sure had, it's a bit lucky. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's uh, you know, absolutely lucky. Yeah. They had yeah. Janet DeFalco on the roster who left after two weeks. They had maybe still Amachkane who was on the roster last season, but you're right. Um, it's definitely played nicely. It worked out. It worked yeah, out. It worked exactly. Out. All right. So our last kind of big bomb, I think that impacts some of our potential predictions here is Lerner Tien announces that he will be joining the USC men in January. He is the 2022 Kalamazoo champion boys, 18s. You know, he's playing in the Malibu 25K right now. He just beat former UCLA number one, Govananda, you know, former Baylor number one, Adrian Boyton, playing Arthur Ferry as we record this podcast. Tell me about the impact of Lerner Tien joining this USC roster. Do they join kind of the NCAA champion conversation? Uh, I think it's a huge addition for them. I don't know if they become a championship contender okay i think they're probably the first team outside the group of teams that i would look at as championship contenders they're like the next guy up 
Okay. You know what I mean? They're just outside it. However, without Learner TM, they would have been well outside it. I yeah. think this is this is a humongous addition for them. I think one of perhaps the the bigger storylines here is that it moves them well into contention to win their conference. And Stanford's going to be quite good this year. The the team of those two that outcompetes the other, that wins the matches between the two of them, that wins the Pac-12, is likely to be a top eight seed, which the Pac-12 missed out on entirely last year. Right? There were no Pac-12 top eight seeds. They all had to travel for for the round of sixteen this year because both teams are good, and now USC is really good. Um, winning that conference is going to hold a lot of weight, and there's a decent chance that the winner of that conference is is a comfortably top eight seed, like five or six. You know, and and I think USC now can really state stake a claim that says, "Hey, we're the best team in the Pac-12." You know, we still have some sorting out to do on Stanford because we don't know the health situation. The depth is a little bit suspect sometimes. But if you're USC now and you've got a one-two of Dosnich and Tien, you're probably looking around a lot of the other teams and being like, "Hey, we're as good as anyone is in the top two. and that means quite a lot, actually. And USC always had depth, but not not that much and now adding a guy who's i mean in my mind tian's gonna play two in in adding him there and you get to move five of your six guys down a spot you become exponentially better from adding one input you know and and so yeah i think usc is absolutely a factor i think they're another one of these teams that's going to come around later in the season i don't know if they're a great team for indoors for instance um but i expect usc to be in and around the top eight most of the year. And yeah, if they made a run to a national final, would it shock me? No, it, yeah. it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, they had a, a good run in, in 2021. Uh, you'll recall that match there uh, where they beat UVA in the round of 16. But yeah, I mean, yeah, look, that was so <laughs> unnecessary that you just did that. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, USC needed a two, right? They yes, had they needed all... They needed a two. They exactly. needed to because they had a one and they had a three, four, five, yes, six. And exactly. that spot was just, they were going to get picked on on two. And let's be honest also, if we're going to be a little bit harsh and critical, Stefan Dosinich's fall left something to be desired for a lot of us, right? It wasn't a moving fall in a, in a season where he started as the number one player in the country. And I think a lot of us thought, man, he might be. The, he might really be the best player in college tennis. Like this might yeah. be the opportunity for Stefan Dawsonich to really stretch his legs and really show that he's the best player in college tennis. And then his fall was kind of just, it, yeah, yeah, it, it was, really, it was it just was bad. It was a bad to just meh fall, and it it sort of left you feeling like, man, with nobody at two and that fall from Stefan Dawsonich, I don't know if USC is any good. Like, forget about. Or are they a top eight team? Like, I don't know if they're a top 10, 12, 15. Like, th- if th- if Stefan wasn't going to be great without adding somebody else, USC was going to have a really uphill battle this season. Yep. Well, now you add TN. It takes a lot of pressure off Stefan, too. Like, that's Absolutely. that's the other part. Yes, it helps on three through six, but Stefan Dostinich doesn't have to win every match this year. That's that's a really big deal because there was there was a moment where it seemed like, hey, Stefan Dostinich has to win every match for this USC team to be a top eight team. That's not the case anymore. They've got a lot of lineup variety now. Three through six, I'm sure we're going to see all sorts of combinations. They really have a lot of diversity in terms of the players that they can use there. Um, Brad Fry, Merrick Mock, West Strait. I mean, they have, they have options. Like, they have serious options, three through six. And 
it's not entirely clear hey, this is for sure your three and this is for sure your six and you fill in, they're going to be able to move guys around, I think. And that's a, that is a huge advantage. Um, so yeah, I think this is, this is a coup for USC really, especially because you're going to get it again next year, assuming Tien comes back, assuming Dosinich comes back, right? This is now you've runway now. It's not just about this year. You're going to be able to run this back with a pretty similar team next year as well, which is every coach's dream when you when you have that talented a top end of your lineup and you get to do it for multiple years yeah and you mentioned it being a coup it, it really is right to bring in the Kalamazoo champion yes I think it's fair to say that the recruiting for USC had fallen off a little bit right over these past few years obviously yep. they're not having the team results that they were when they were racking up you know the back to back to back um NCAA team titles yes they bring in players like Ryan Colby, who at one point was number one in his class, but this is, no, you know... After Stefan, after Stefan Dosnich, the American, in particular the American recruiting, yeah. wasn't at the level that we were used to seeing from USC. Right. Exactly. This is the sort of recruit that everyone is sort of used to seeing USC bring in, Yeah, and they needed it badly. Like, it, they needed to get this recruit. Especially on the heels of Ethan Quinn, from California yep. going to Georgia, Alex Michelson, one of the top recruits yep. in this upcoming class from California going to Georgia. There was a lot of California kids well, leaving go, the state. Go further back, right? Jensen Brooksby from California committed to, you know, committed to Baylor, never played, yep. but committed to Baylor. Brandon Nakashima went to UVA. Like USC had missed on the really huge name California recruits actually besides Stefan for kind of a while. Yeah. This is a really big deal for them. They needed this, especially okay. because Stanford was, you know, really Stanford's recruiting was beginning to push its way back into the conversation. The results maybe hadn't matched up there yet, but Stanford's recruiting was really good. Chris Quinta le leaves USC to go to Cal. So you expect at some point in the near future, Cal's going to be better. USC needed to get a really big California based recruit. And this is not only the perfect recruit, it's the perfect time for them. Yep. Like the timing of this could not have been better. Yep. So good news if you are a Trojans fan. All right. Last piece of input, our last data point before we kind of go on to these predictions. We have real spring action happening right now. We're seeing a lot of yep. action across the country. And most all in kind of an invitational hidden duel type format yeah. right now. These matches do count for your singles record, your doubles record, but they're not technically in the dual uh, format. So we have the Miami Invitational, which they do every year. Four teams this year, Miami, South Carolina, Texas, and Georgia. You'll basically play doubles against one team and then singles against another. We're two days in from this three-day event, and it's been... Week. wacky <laughs> it's been wacky, wacky. It's yeah. much better word let's start with texas all right yeah. texas who you know the cracked rackets preseason uh number four people are very high on this has been a texas team that is loaded with talent they show up first event of the spring you've got no cleve harper anywhere you've got no micah braswell anywhere you've got no chi chi huang in singles that's three of their top six, right? You've got Spazirian yeah. Bailey, who's coming off of surgery in the fall. CM Waldy plays one match, retires down 7-5, five, 6-5, five, doesn't play in day two. 
I mean, we are two days into seeing this Texas team, and it is – there's no one there. There's, it's yeah. Bizzieri and his one wrist, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. What, what do you make of the Texas performance so far? I mean, so I two things. The first is, to me, a fully healthy Texas team, I think, is the clear second-best team in the country. I, I right. think that. Okay, like – if I could assume everyone stays healthy for the entire year and you asked me to make rankings, I would have Texas at number two. Okay. Because I think that top four is as good as anyone's, including the UVA top four, which I would say is the best in the country right now. Yeah. And, and then just to you pause add, the top four being Spaziri, Braswell, Bailey, and Waldeep. Bailey and Waldeep. Yes. And by the way, Cleve Harper and Chi Chi Wang at five and six are experienced, solid vets who've been there and done that. And that has a ton of value. So that's my first observation. A fully healthy Texas team is the second best team in the country. My second observation would be you can't possibly rank Texas two because they're never healthy, right? Yeah. It's like the assumption that you can't make you under no circumstances. Can you make the assumption that Texas is going to be fully healthy? Because it seems now like all of the Texas sample we've had for the last two years has been with somebody hurt. Pick a guy. Someone's been hurt. And it's, sort of tragic because it is such a talented team and they are fun and they're they're really good like they're just they're a really good team and they compete super hard and they're vets at this point and they're they're willing to put it all out there like we've seen Spaziri time and time again put it all out there because he cares but we're two days into the season yeah and half their lineup didn't play now, there could be stuff going on here that's not injury related. Coach Burke could be decided could be deciding just to not play all of his guys. But what's the point in playing this event if you're not going to play your guys? <laughs> right? Like this is a, this is an event that actually doesn't add anything other than match reps. Right. So what's the point in doing it if you're not going to get the match reps? Right. It, it's sort of it's sort of a completely illogical thought to me to say, oh well, maybe they're not hurt. Well, why would you travel to Miami to play an event that has no value if you don't play it? Right? It it doesn't well, I don't, make yeah, any I don't know if they're sense. even in Miami. Yeah, it it, I, it doesn't make any sense yeah. if they're not hurt. And so the tragedy continues, right? It's like for now at least, it's sort of it's the same story written all over again. And the UVA alum in me sort of goes like, well if Texas isn't going to field a fully healthy team, UVA will beat that team. And that's, that's really how I feel. But the college tennis fan in me goes, no, like I want to see it. I want to yeah. see the two, the two teams that I believe when fully healthy are the two best teams in the country. I want to see them play with all of their guys, right? Like you want to see those matches. So yeah, if you're Texas, I, I don't know how you, I don't know where you go from here. Right. That's, this is the hard part is, they are a little bit at a crossroads, right? This is Spaziri's senior year, right? Mm. This is Waldeeb's senior year. Yep. They both have this extra is, years, though. They both have extra years. This is Braswell's junior year. Mm -hmm. This is Cleve Harper and Chi Chi Wang's final year, right? Because they were on the national championship team. I'm pretty sure. Chi Chi was. I don't think Cleve Chi Chi definitely was. was. Okay. I think Cleve is so, a year behind. They have parts that are coming to the very end of their college tennis career. And we have not seen this team of tremendous talent ever actually really play together fully healthy. 
and were this far into their college tennis career, you, you have to figure this problem out, right? Like there, there's a problem here. You're consistently putting a really talented team out there. That's not fully healthy. Why? Yeah. The, the fact that we're at year three of this issue where it's the same guys too, right? It's the same injury for Spaziri. It's Braswell. It's Woldeeb. It's, it's not like, it's not like one guy comes back and another guy gets hurt and it's just this continuous carousel and whack-a-mole of injuries. It's the same guys who are having injuries that are repetitive and it's tragic, but you need to get to the bottom of it. Like you can't allow this to continue. It is the same guys, but it's really just the whole team. Right. And it is a whack-a-mole <laughs> well, because it's that. like it's like CM Waldeeb had a resurgent fall. Excellent fall. I thought yeah. it was the best we had seen him he's play. Number in a long 11, time. He's number eleven in the country for a reason. Because of that fall, exactly. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, like first match of the spring, he retires down seven, five, six, yeah. five, and then he's out the next day. So I don't know yeah. how serious the injury is, but like that part of it feels whack-a-mole-ish to me, where you're like, we just got Waldy playing well yeah. and now we're out. Now so, he's hurt again. Yeah. So we'll have to it, see. You know, it's still early. You know, these are small data points. Yeah. Um don't want to put too much stock into the Miami Invitational, the first event of the year, yeah. but it certainly was something that caught my eye and was a little bit of a, a red flag. Yeah, it's just, it's upsetting on Texas to see that. You're three days into the season. It's one of the best teams, missing a lot of guys. We haven't even started playing dual matches yet. It's like, you want to see the best teams play with all of their best players. You just sort of hope they they rectify this before before indoors, before certainly before NCAAs, but that that's like you said, that's a, that's a long way off. Yep, absolutely. So another team playing the Miami Invitational is Georgia. Uh, a lot of eyes on Georgia this season with Ethan Quinn, number one player in the country. Uh, he goes undefeated in the fall, plays his first uh, spring collegiate match, and he loses. He loses to Dan Martin in straight sets of Miami. But that's not the only struggle that Georgia has here in these first two days. Uh, Blake Croyder, who another player in his fifth year had a resurgent fall, I would say, you know, won the um, Southeastern Regional, makes it to Fall Nats. Uh, Theodore Juska, uh, the transfer from Clemson, also starts out 0-2 these first two days. Phil Henning, All-American finalist, also starts out these first two days 0-2. Not a great start for the Georgia Bulldogs. How do you, like, what, how, what do you... And what, how do you, how do you process this Georgia team now? It's like these guys, pretty much all of them have a great fall, right? Henning has a great fall. Quinn obviously was the best player in the fall. Uh, Kreuter had a very good fall and then they show up and look the second day, the the first day they're playing Miami and let's, let's put this into perspective a little bit. The ACC is a very deep conference this year, but when crack, when you guys sit down with cracked rackets and you talk about the teams in the ACC, Miami is not one of the teams that you talk about. It's not Florida State. It's not Duke. It's not UNC. It's not Wake. It's not UVA. Okay, so that even that puts them in the middle of the pack of the ACC, which is not the strongest conference traditionally in college tennis. And Georgia laid an egg against Miami. Yeah. Like it, it was, it was, it was bad. It was a really, it was just, it was not. It was really bad. It's too early to, to panic or to, to, to make some vast overreaction about it. But how do you, you – you can't sort of place a proper value on this Georgia team now because, look, you still know Ethan Quinn is very good. Yeah, Ethan absolutely. Quinn is still one of the best players in the country. He's still going to have a great season. 
He's not going to go undefeated. He's not the next Steve Johnson, but he's he's a very good college tennis player, and he's going to be among the best players in the country. But we we had questions anyway about Henning, Kreuter, and Bride. Giuska was new, and so we didn't really know what to make of it, and we're already worried about whoever plays six for Georgia. And then they show up and they play a team that we're not really expecting to be very good in Miami, that we're kind of expecting to be a fringe team for NCAAs, and they all lose. Right? That like it's it, it makes it very hard to really rationalize any set of beliefs on Georgia. If you sit there and go, oh, they're they're still a you know a top five, six, seven team, you look at this this data point and you go, oh well, that's a little concerning. But then you sit there and you go, oh, no, they're they're not a top 16 team or they're not a top 10 team. But then you look at the names on the roster and you go, of course, they're a top. like it, it's impossible to figure out just how good this Georgia team is. Like you said, it's very early. We need more data. We need to see more matches. Yeah, but this is it's worrisome. It's not like it's not a time for a panic, but it's certainly something that you have to go. What happened? Yeah, like, it, it's it's such a what happened there result. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and I mean, the first match, play Miami on their home courts, maybe a windy day in Miami, and it's like, oh, bad day at the office, there. right? Then you go out the next there. day, play South Carolina, also not on their home courts, and you basically do the same thing, right? Those three yeah. core guys that we talked about, Kreuter, Juska, Henning, all lose again. Um, yeah. So that was, oh, <laughs> just maybe chalk it up to a bad <laughs> tournament now. It's it's just concerning because you looked at this team and you knew what you were going to get out of Ethan Quinn. And then the guys in the middle, you have high expectations for because the results are really good in the fall. Yeah, exactly. Like, like the results are good. They have experience. So you feel like you can trust them. Yeah. And then they throw out a result that makes you go, never mind, we can't trust them at all. So exactly. we're either making a judgment on talent or making a judgment on what we've actually just seen. And neither one's really fair anymore, right? Like, the judgment yeah. on talent probably over like over exaggerates how good they are. And the judgment on what we've just seen probably over exaggerates that, you know, how bad they are. And, yeah. and not neither one is true. But for Georgia, this hopefully this is a wake up call and this is a humbling moment because they had a great fall. But now it's like, put your work boots on and fix it because you have to, yeah. because this is a year where they can win the SEC and they have all the talent in the world, they probably have one of the three best players in college tennis who we all think is not coming back to play another year of college tennis. You cannot waste this year. You have to make the most of this. Um, so yeah, this maybe there's you know some minor soul searching here. You, you've got you've got a problem to fix, and you've got you've got time and runway and all the talent in the world to do it, but you have to fix the problem. It's not the the product right now is not good enough for yeah. for the the inputs that they have it's it's just it's not good enough yet yeah well and look they'll get opportunities to test themselves this is a team that has matches soon florida state next weekend right a talented florida state team that they yep. play i think texas again uh yep. well they haven't faced texas they'll place them on sunday Tomorrow. so look um they're they're going to be tested continually they'll have opportunity to improve all right with that with all of those inputs Let's move into our 2023 predictions. Got a few fun ones to start us off. All right. First up, Ethan. Three indoors. We've got a lot of teams scheduling tough matches, trying to test themselves. Which of the matches 
are you is going to be the most impactful in your opinion on both the men's side and the women's side? We'll start with the men. Well, for me, this is really easy because for the men, it's UVA, Ohio State, and Charlottesville. It's the two best teams in the country in the in the preseason rankings. I don't think either one of them is going to pick up a loss before you know between now and then. So, in all likelihood, it's going to be the two best teams in the country. And this is sort of a rubber match, right? Like UVA and Ohio State have played each of the last two years. They've split those matches. They've both been in Columbus. Mm-hmm. So now Ohio State's coming to Charlottesville. And we're we're going to learn a lot about both teams in this match. If that's a really competitive match, I think it sort of reaffirms that the coaches, the pundits, we've all identified who the two best teams in the country are. My guess is it's going to be an absolute war. <laughs> like, yeah. it's. I don't think there's a lot of love lost between those two teams. I think for for UVA that was actually rock bottom last year. That that match at Ohio State that was, yes, they wound up losing the next four matches anyway, but that was the worst. Like they felt the worst about that one. They felt the performance was the worst. They they that was when the whole process actually began. And for Ohio State, two years ago, UVA ruined their season. And it was awesome. I was there for it. It was great. But this is this is now you're creating – there was always a rivalry between the two schools, but now you're creating a new generation of this rivalry, yeah. right? This is, this is now the third time Chris, Jeffrey, and Inyaki are going to play uh, Cannon and Tracy, right? Like you've created a rivalry here between some of the best players in the country on some of the best teams in the country where they're, they're playing every year out of conference. And now they're going to have the numbers one and two stapled to their name before indoors, right? Whoever wins that match is going to be the number one seed at national indoors. It's an almost, it's a, it's a certainty basically. So yeah, to me on the men's side, that is 100%. That's, the best match between now and and fall or fall mats oh my god between now and national indoors not fall mats we're done with fall mats no more fall mats yeah i think it's a great point what one versus two winner to be the number one seed it's almost why i don't have that chosen because look we could very likely get a rematch of this in a more meaningful match in the ita indoors championship so I swerved on this one, but I kept Ohio State in the conversation. I'm going Texas at Ohio State. I think, look, I think this is going to be the big test for Texas. Um, And they go on the road, they go in Columbus, and we're going to see, right, whether that Texas team is kind of in that conversation with Virginia and Ohio State as one of the best teams in the country. We'll be, you know, four weeks out from today. We'll see where they're at with the injuries. I think ultimately, you know, Texas getting a win in Columbus can be very, very hard to do, but we'll see how much, um, how close it is. Right. And I think they're going to need tell us a lot. They're going to need all their guys, right? If Texas is showing up to play Columbus or to play Ohio state in Columbus, shorthanded, even one guy, you go from a very hard mountain to climb to Everest, right? It, it, yeah. Like you need to have all of your guys. You need to be completely locked in. It's one of the toughest things to do in college tennis is go and beat Ohio state in Ohio state. Yep. So you, they're going to need everybody. And so that's going to be sort of like we were just talking about with eligibility. That's going to be a moment where Texas has to show their hand, right? If they have guys who are hurt, who aren't playing, we're going to know that they're hurt because if they're healthy, they're playing that match. That is the biggest match you can play in that moment. So yeah, that's a, that's a strong choice. All right. We'll snake style here. We'll go women. I'll give you mine. 
look, this is similar to the Virginia Ohio State men. This is a, an early season matchup that we've been getting the last few years. It has always been an extremely close match, and it is going to be Georgia at UNC. Look, I know Texas is number one in the coaches poll. I think unequivocally UNC on paper is the best women's team in the country. We mentioned the Vekic eligibility questions surrounding Georgia. I think we find out in this match whether she is eligible when she goes on the road. And even if Georgia doesn't have Vekic, this is top to bottom, a very, very good Georgia team who will absolutely test North Carolina. And we'll see just how far and above, if at all, North Carolina is above that kind of next tier of teams of which there are a lot. So I will stick with eligibility questions and I'll stick with not using the number one team in the country. I'm going to go with NC State, Oklahoma at NC State. Yes, Uh, I think this is a super interesting match for a couple of reasons. The first is we've done a lot of conversing about women's tennis and who the contenders are. And we've left out last year's national finalist who returns 100% of their team in Oklahoma. Right. This is what makes the women's tennis season this year really cool. There's a ton of depth, so much so that preseason, the team that made the NCAA finals last year and brings everybody back is number four in the country. Like, that's insane. That doesn't happen most of the time. This match is super interesting for those reasons, right? You've got the three and four team in the country facing off indoors in NC State where it's very hard to play. They only have four courts. It's a nightmare, right? But then to go further on that, if you want a match that's potentially the first match that we're going to see Diana Schneider play college tennis, I'd circle and highlight that one. That's probably looking at the NC State schedule. Yeah, they play South Carolina uh, in at the end of January. Their schedule is actually pretty light in terms of pre-indoors matches. February 4th at home against Oklahoma. If she's eligible, she's playing that match. I, I can't I can't see how she doesn't play that match unless she's not playing college tennis or she's not eligible. And so that one will answer a lot of questions. It will really help us sort of figure out this hierarchy of, of, Hey, you know, who actually is in the conversation? Maybe who isn't, we're going to get a lot of answers on the depth of NC state. I mean, on paper, we look at NC state and we go, they're a very deep team. We know Oklahoma is a very deep team. We have a year's worth of info of Oklahoma's depth their ability to win matches up and down the lineup, their ability to get creative with the way that they win. So yeah, it's a big test for NC State. It's a big test for Oklahoma. And it's going to, I think, answer the 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 big Schneider question that we've kind of all had for the last several months. Yeah, I'm convinced that's the best one. <laughs> Good pick. And also just a bold move from Coach Cohen in Oklahoma to go on the road. On the road, yeah. NC State, which only has four indoor courts and it's, a tough place to play. I mean, you talked about this when we were doing our dark horse conversation. We talked about the NC State men. It's you just, hard to play there. It's hard it's, to play there. The match is super long. Yeah, you're signing teams. up for like a five hour match, yes. particularly with two teams. I mean, that, that is going to be yeah, it's, it's going to be a, a barn burner. No, Coach Cohen's a savage. Like, yeah. th- there's no other way to put it. Like, that's just a savage thing to do. And yeah. look, that team is tough. We saw it all of last year. Like, the Oklahoma team took like looked for the challenge head on ran straight towards it this is this is just a continuation of that attitude right this is 
you're yeah you're not playing unc at unc they don't have to play texas yet they're going to play texas plenty all right nc state it is let's do that i mean this is just this is a an aggressive move but again going back to how indoor seedings work out this is one that the winner of that match might have an argument to be the number two seed you know if 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 texas doesn't get a marquee win between you know now and indoors and unc beats georgia and and you know one of those two teams has to win yeah. right they there's a real argument to say you know we should be the two seed at at indoors and and so it's it's going to be interesting that one's going to be a, a spicy match those two teams are also i think pretty chatty they like to get into it it's a, it's going to be a very um social match i think if if the mics if the mics work really well you might even hear some trash talk so th- that'll be a fun one uh, this is a total tangent, but the mics do work very well in that NC State indoor facility for the stands. So yes. y- you can hear a lot of chatter in the stands. Yes. I don't know about on court, but um, so it's very a chatty like, crowd too. Yes, the, oh yeah, I, you can hear a lot. Yeah, uh, it's a chatty crowd there. All right, let's move into our next category here. You know, coaches poll came out. Not a lot to not a lot of meat on the bone there. Nothing too too crazy. So I want to ask you, of teams ranked 16 through 25, I'll read them off for you. Who will finish the year highest? Let's start with the women. At 16, yeah. UCLA, Ohio State, Florida, Arizona State, Michigan, Vanderbilt, Iowa State, UCF. Tennessee and Georgia Tech. So which of those teams year end rankings finishes the highest? So I'm going to think out loud for a little bit. Here, Please do. Which is my gut says, because I know how the ranking formula works, which is kind of cheating, but it's also valid here. A factor here. Yeah. Florida or Vanderbilt is it's going to be one of those two teams, because in my mind, the SEC is going to have the most opportunities for those teams in conference to pick up big chunks of ranking points. Yep. Um, I think Michigan's very good. I think Ohio State's very good. I just don't know if they're going to have enough looks, like if they're going to have enough opportunity to actually kind of collect enough of the ranking spots. It's not like they can't get one big win. But it's actually, by the end of the season, it's not about your ability to have one big win. It's about your ability to have 10 good ones. And the SEC is filled with opportunity to stack wins, right? I mean, if you just look above them in the rankings, they're going to have the opportunity to play Texas A&M, Georgia, and uh, Auburn, who are all above them, who are all SEC teams. Yeah. Um, And I don't think it's that long a putt for either of those teams Florida or Vanderbilt, that is to say, hey, we could beat one of those teams and then beat one of, you know, each other. And then you have all the teams behind you to sort of fill in the gaps, right? Tennessee is also just behind them, you know? So in my mind, the SEC, those two teams are the ones that look the most interesting to me. I'll go with Vanderbilt because you really talked up Vanderbilt earlier this this year when when we were talking about you know, fun things to look forward to. They're they're sort of a like you said, an up and coming team. So yeah, I'll go with Vanderbilt. I think they're going to have a lot of opportunity without a lot of pressure, and I think that's that's a big that's a big factor for them. This is a resurgence yep. that has more years. This is not the this year is not the be all end all. You know, they're right. going to have more opportunities down the line. So this is 
this is a chance to familiarize with familiarize yourself with the top 15 teams get really close lose yeah. some matches win some matches pull an upset here get upset there you know i'll go with vanderbilt i think they're going to be a, a team that can you know play kind of loose throughout the season and, and maybe pull a big upset yeah and you know they're clawing their way back right they did finish the year strong get that round of 16 update upset yeah. over ohio state but you can hear more about Vanderbilt on that Dark Horse episode we did. I kind of walked through why I'm high on Vanderbilt. Let me just give you the case for Ohio State because you make a good point there about what's on their schedule. Listen to this schedule. So one, this is an Ohio State team that's finished the year number 15, 21 and 6. They return their entire top five, plus they add in two transfers who can you know play at that number six position in Danielle Wilson from USC um, in Akan Aksha Bon from Columbia. The Big Ten is not going to be strong this year, right? Yeah. But Ohio State's schedule is. So pre-indoors at home, they have Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Georgia. After indoors at home, they have Arizona State and NC State. Non-conference away matches, Texas A&M, UCLA, Pepperdine. That's a tough it's a brutal schedule. schedule. So can I just say one of the reasons why, and I hadn't I hadn't familiarized myself that much with Ohio State schedule. One of the reasons why I still don't think that's a great pick, I don't think they win most of those matches, <laughs> right? Like, I think yeah. they can beat Arizona State. But, I mean, some of the teams you said, I don't see them beating NC State. I don't see them beating Oklahoma. I don't see them beating Texas A&M, right? I mean, But they get I just five think, of them at home. Yeah, they're going to play a lot of them at home, which is still less valuable. For what it's worth, right? Th- those wins, but, I mean, if they were to pick one of them up, alone, a, yeah. a win is a win, and t- and it will matter a lot. I I don't think playing in Columbus has quite the same uh, fear factor on the women's side as it does on the men's side. I, I think we see the women's team get upset at home, maybe a little bit more than the men's team, but they do a very good job. And I'm not that's not supposed to be criticism. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's a tough out of conference schedule, but. You know, and this is this is the tough part of the coach's job when creating the schedule is the the balance, right? Like, how do you play enough tough out of conference matches that your team gets sort of battle tested and calloused and you lose some and you win some and and you learn a lot about other teams and about yourselves without beating yourselves into the ground, right? I would worry that when you play what was it? Three or four of the top five teams in the country, plus Pepperdine. Yeah, right. Plus Oklahoma State, who's good, by the yeah. way. Like Oklahoma State is really, really good. Yeah, they're a top fifteen team. Yeah, you just worry, like, man, could this one get off the rails a right. little early? Like, could you drop a couple of these matches and suddenly, not only are you going well shit we you know we have a lot of room to make up here because we want to be a top 16 team so we can host the first two rounds that's that goes outside of your you know outside of your initial concerns you're worrying about the confidence of your players you have players who probably aren't used to losing four five six seven matches in a span of 10 who might be doing that and you have to figure out how to remedy that on the fly and give the team confidence and then yeah like you said the conference isn't that strong so ohio state will have that and it's I won't say in its back pocket because Michigan is going to be decent, but Ohio State will be able to fall back on that, the belief that they can win their conference. But I don't know. It's it's that's a lot. It's I it might be too much. That that would be my concern is that it might be too many really tough out of conference matches when 
I think that magic number is probably between four and six, maybe, you know, four, five, six. That's where you want to be for the tough out of conference matches. And they're, what was that? Eight? Yeah. And maybe it's, hey, a little bit more of the Arizona States and less yes. of the like Oklahoma NC State. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and for them, beating Arizona State will have value because Arizona State's going to get shots at Stanford and USC and Cal, who are all top 15 teams. So, you know, the, they need to find ways to win some of those matches. I, I don't think it's reasonable to sit there and say, oh, wow, Ohio State's going to... I don't think they'll win half those matches. Okay. All right. We'll have I, to I see. Think, yeah, it I is think certainly it's a lot of good scheduling. Uh, yeah. Let's let's move to the men's. Men's are interesting. So we'll start at 16. I'll read them off for you. Florida State, Harvard, North Carolina, NC State, Pepperdine, Duke, Columbia, Texas A&M, Auburn and Middle Tennessee. Which of those teams finishes the highest year-end rankings? What's interesting because it's a lot of ACC teams, right? Like, I mean, it, three ACC teams, two Ivy Leagues, two Ivies, yeah, right. And then you've got two teams that aren't Power Five. So, sorry, Pepperdine and Middle Tennessee. I, I don't think it's 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 you guys. I think the I think it's very tough to get above where they're currently ranked when you're outside of the power five, unless you pull a very big upset at kickoff and you make indoors. Um, I don't know if Auburn and Texas A&M can make that much of a push in part, because I think they're properly ranked and in part, because I think this is maybe not like in years past being an sec team ranked 23 was awesome because you'd have so many shots at teams ranked in the top 16 because so many teams were in front of you. Yes, the SEC is still very, very good this year. I don't know if it's as good as we're, we've become accustomed to in the last two, three, four years, because I don't think Florida is, is as good. I don't think Tennessee is as good, and I think there's a decent chance South Carolina isn't as good as they have been. Um, I need to look at, I need to look at one team schedule in particular before I before I spoil the uh my pick but my gut my gut is saying Harvard. Yeah, I my, I might my go gut saying Harvard. To tie this into like what are the big pre indoor matches? Harvard and Columbia play first round in the kickoff weekend, which is insane. 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 But I I might say give me that whoever wins that match Give me that team to finish the highest of this bunch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and by the way, I point out Harvard's schedule is for them. They've created a really smart schedule. So they're playing NC state and Duke on the road. Those are two really good opportunities to pick up what will be points in chunks early in the season on the road, which is valuable. Right. Yeah. Then they're going to play Columbia in Chapel Hill. If they win that match, They'll play North Carolina right, in Chapel Hill. It's in the North Carolina right? region, yeah. So they're going to have, that's four straight really good opportunities that sort of the opposite of what we were saying with Ohio State. Those are all within their grasp. Like, I don't okay. think those are super long putts for them. Then you get to the long putt part of their schedule. They're going to play Michigan and Ann Arbor. They're going to play UVA, uh, but at home, Right. They beat Michigan last year. Yeah, they did. That was a, in, in Cambridge. In Cambridge, but they beat Michigan last year. Yep. And both of those teams are pretty similar. Yeah. I'm not going to pick Harvard to beat Michigan, 
But you sort of look at Harvard's schedule and you go, man, they have a lot of chances to wind up in the top 10 even, right? If they if they run the table in North Carolina and then, you know, they they happen to beat Michigan or they happen to beat UVA, which I hope they don't, but they happen to, right? You, you go, wow, man, this, this team could very easily be a top 10 team when the NCAA tournament rolls around because they have chances. They're not going to lose. I don't think they're going to lose matches in the Ivy League outside of Columbia, maybe. And I, I would still probably take Harvard over Columbia. The two matches that they play are neutral site or at Harvard. They don't have to play in New York. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, my gut's at Harvard, and I'll, I'll roll with my gut, Harvard. All right. Well, you can read more about men's tennis and the Ivy League and kind of the um, the future resurgence. of that conference, the resurgence yeah. of it. Yeah. After missing the season in 2021 due to COVID on the Cracked Rackets website, I published something there. Also published some data on the Instagram at no ad, no problem about kind of the recruiting that they've been doing um, within the U.S. ranks. All right. Rounding the corner here, we're getting to that like final half hour of the Oscars when the big awards mm-hmm. are coming up. I want to start with the singles first before we anoint our team champions. And I first want to start with a few factors to consider when projecting the singles champion here, right? We are going to be in Orlando. It will be hot. Uh, according to you, kind of the court conditions are fairly average. It's much more about yeah. the the humidity and the heat. The, the conditions, yeah. Exactly. You know, we always... Other people always talk about how like long the season is of the NCAA tournament with the team and then the singles. And it is this year is going to be a little different, though, right? Because teams who do make the final, they're going to have a, an extra day off between yeah. I think it's the semis and the finals. So yeah. that should be a pretty big factor. You look at someone like a Peyton Stearns, right, who wins the team and then has to go turn right back around. Um, I, I think they're going to have an, an if you, they're going to still have to do that, but they're gonna have a day off before the finals. And then the other yeah. factor, of course, is Americans versus non-Americans and just yeah. the incentives for Americans are just substantially bigger in earning that main draw wild card to the U.S. Open. It's just not there for the non-Americans. You see a lot of non-Americans yeah. either not play the event, make it to the round of 16, earn all American status and then go home. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so those are those are kind of the I would say the considerations with those considerations. Ethan, you've actually already gone on the record and picked Fiona Crawley as a three-peat winner here, winning yeah. both the fall events and the NCAA tournament. Are you going to stick with that pick? 100%. Really? Okay. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. We already have so many questions about Schneider. And then even if she she does there's, play. There's zero chance Schneider plays the individuals. Right. The French even Open if, qualifying. If, no, there's zero chance. Exactly. Even if she plays teams she's not playing singles because no. there's zero value for her in playing NCA singles. Orlando's like perfect for Fiona Crawley. It's going to be hot and humid and players are going to have to choose to go to war with somebody. And she loves like, that's her game is, is, Hey, let's go to war. Let's battle out here for hours and hours and hours. And let's see what happens. Orlando's great for her. I think, you know, the caveat is, as you mentioned, what happens to UNC? UNC is in a particularly interesting situation where winning comes at a price, but losing will come at a price also. This is a team that we do this dance every year. They're on the precipice every year. They fall a little bit short every year. It That weighs on people. I know at UVA in the Brian Bolin years when they 
would make NCAA final after NCAA final and they couldn't get over the hump. It was hard. Like it's, yeah. it's very, very hard on people. I think there's a better chance if UNC wins singles that Fiona wins than if they don't. I think if UNC wins the NC like the team title, I think Fiona is more likely to win NCAA singles because the momentum will be there. Like you said, the added rest day, the the familiarity with the conditions, the just the the relief. Mm. The relief like, of of having finally gotten over the hump and finally won the the team event, but I still think with no Schneider, I still think she's the best player in the country. Like I, I, I just I, that's really what it comes down to. Okay, I actually think it. I, I mean, Fiona Crawley seems like someone who, regardless of the team result, will be locked and ready for the individual there are a lot of players who are not like that um she does not strike me as that sort of person so i don't know if it really matters but she did just have this experience last year they lose a heartbreaker to texas right she turns back around makes it to the semifinal. so either way i'm not sure it'll be a big factor i think she's going and she's better this year well as a player yeah 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 oh absolutely she's been better right so last year right she was already she was already one of the players who we all had our eyes on. She makes a deep run. Now she's she's better. She's going to play one too. So she'll that's that's the, the other calloused. weird part about this is not just the cows. She's going to get reps against these players. Yeah. Last year she makes a deep run in NCAs. She's probably playing players she hasn't played all season because she's been playing four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This year she's going to play one or two. So she's going to see the same people as yeah. this unfolds. So she'll. She'll have more of a game plan. She'll have more of an idea of how she feels playing certain players. Yeah. Fiona Crawley. Okay. Fiona Crawley. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. But the one other name I'll throw out, I'm going to ask you for a second name as well. One other name I would throw out is Janice Chen of Pepperdine, who Ooh. played has ex- been very good in Orlando. Very good in Orlando, makes the NCAA semifinals her freshman year, doesn't even make the tournament last year, which I think was a travesty. She's playing yeah. so well. Her and Savannah Brodus in doubles. Look, I, I just I like her game a lot, but ultimately, some of the factors we mentioned: American, non-American. Like, if that's the final, I you know I I could see that being the final. So I'll, I'll go with that as my two names. I'll lean Crawley just because of kind of the the day in day out consistency that she's shown over the fall, being clearly the best player in college tennis in the fall. Who's your second name? Who do you think is your is makes the finals? This is hard. This is hard because the fall was sort of a mixed bag. I I won't pick a freshman. I just I won't do it. Okay. Even okay. though Connie Ma did it last season. Even though Connie Ma did it last season, just I won't do it. And I, because it's it's hard. What you're probably um, saying Maddie is you're not is picking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Maddie not C picking is the freshman I'm talking yeah. about, and I won't. I I just I won't do it, which is it, wrong. Probably <laughs> like it's probably just wrong of me. Um, I'm sort of. Your Janice Chen's a very good pick. I would say Connie Ma is a really good pick yeah. too. She's on right? the short like, list as well. I, I I think she would be if I had to if I had to say my second favorite. It yeah probably Connie just the experience having done it before the game style in Orlando. Yeah. It's going to be a good fit for her. And, and like I said, she's done it before. So yeah, Yeah. that'll be my second name. I'll go, I'll go with Connie. All right. I really hope we get another Connie Ma Fiona Crawley matchup throughout the course of the season. If it comes to Orlando, great. I hope it at least comes somewhere. Indoors. Maybe. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd like to see it outdoors, but yeah. Um, all right. So that's, that's the women going on the record. Let's shift gears to the men. I'll go first. Men singles champion. This is really tough. I'm going to go Elliot Spaziri. Okay, so wait, this is funny. I thought you were being sarcastic and you were going to pick Ethan Gwynn. And I was looking at names and I was like, oh, Elliot's a really good pick here. And then you said Elliot's is here. So I, I like it. I, I think that's a very, very good pick. I think he's done very well in Orlando when he's been there. Yep. He seems to be turning the corner on the injury front um, a little I mean, bit. He's just, I don't know. I mean, he's beating everyone, right? Yeah. We were talking he's about... He's winning matches. Yeah. So... Yeah, I think I I I like that pick. Okay, I, I like that pick, and I'm I'm not going to pick Ethan Quinn. I I just I I won't do it for the same reason that I said I won't pick Matty Sieg. Okay. Um, so I like Elliot, and I, I he would be one of my two picks for okay. sure. Okay. So in the finals, I do think we're going to see one of these guys make a deep run. I just don't know who it is. And it's, these are non-American guys. Ferry, Monday, Draxel. I have another name. Okay. Who's your other name? Inyaki Montez. Real see. So here's okay. my thing. Make the here's bias case. So bias aside, I think Orlando's really good for him, right? Sort of the same way we said Orlando's really good for for Connie and, and for Fiona too, by the way. For Inyaki, you want to talk about somebody who's like, let's go to absolute war and let's see who can suffer the most and who's willing to actually do this. That's to me, that's the guy. I mean, we were so in champagne last year and Yaki had a crazy week and, and we don't need to rehash that. But the one that I'll remember very distinctly is in the singles event when he played Danny Rodriguez, who was one of the top three players in the country. And you could see as the third set went on, it wasn't that Inyaki was playing great it was that the physicality of the game style was breaking down danny rodriguez it, it just over two three hours it becomes really challenging to play that way and that was in champagne where it was cold yeah it was cold and windy that day right in orlando it's going to be 85 degrees and very humid and there might be bugs oh. all right <laughs> so i'll go with in those sorts of conditions, I really like Inyaki just because he forces you to play his way. He forces you to play long points where you have to scrap and you have to hit weird shots that you're not used to hitting and you hit three winners, but he gets all of them back. Like that's the way he plays. And in a in a situation where you might have to do that for three hours in high humidity, high heat. That's my guy. Well, let me ask you this question. If Virginia repeats. Does Inyaki want to do that for another five to six days? Yeah, so I, that's honest. Honestly, that's the question, right? So he's he's an All American. He'll probably be an All American again this year. Just I don't know by if he'll, seed, yeah, just by seed, right? Um, I don't know. I think I think one of the things that's great about about Inyaki in particular, and and this you know is slightly off track, is he takes it as it comes. If he's feeling good and he decides he wants to play, he'll play. He likes competing, like, mm -hmm. and that's ultimately. That's when you see the European guys do really well in this event. They just they like competition. They like doing it. They like the extra matches. They like the opportunity to go win another national championship for their school. And and he falls into that category of guys. If this is another long season with you know tons of trials and tribulations, and they wind up repeating, 
does he maybe go not interested? I've already done my part. I'm going back to Charlottesville. Yeah. It's, it's possible. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. All right. Well, so are we both going Spaziri for our winner? All I, right. I, I will take Spaziri to, okay. to start. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll go in Yaki as my second pick. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go. I'll go Monday, my second pick. All right. All right. We've come to it. Going on the record. Nobody knows who I'm going to pick. Nobody knows. This is the world's greatest curve. I'm being sarcastic. Everybody knows who I'm going to (laughs) pick. I don't know. I don't know. We have not had you on the record yet. Let's start with the women's team. I can't come on my own show and do something totally different than what I've been saying for the last few weeks on the Great Shot podcast. So, look, I have NC State beating North Carolina in the final. I don't feel great about it. I kind of needed to pick someone else other than North Carolina. The on-paper pick is North Carolina. Absolutely. Did I know Gruskin was going to pick it? Yes. So, you know, got to mix it up. I'll go different from both of you. How about that? Okay, so then you weren't being sarcastic. Well, no, on the women's, I was talking about the men's side. Oh, no, so I'm going to pick okay. on the men's oh, side. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> on, on the women's side, I will go. I don't think you or Gruskin said this team. Who is it? I'm going to go with Oklahoma. Really? I like, yes. I like toughness and experience and depth and grit and willingness to do crazy things. I, I love it. I think the whole setup is great. I think they're, it, from what I know, which is not a lot about the environment there. Okay. Being consistently left out of the conversation when they are the defending national finalists at indoors and NCAAs is just burning them. Right. It, it, they're, they hear you, right? Like they hear Gruskin, they hear you, they're listening, they're aware, they're upset. They're, I think this is going to be the most motivated team. Like, UNC is always motivated because they're always really good and they haven't gotten over the hump. Oklahoma is going to be really motivated because they were right there. They were in the last match of the year. They were in the last match at indoors. They bring everybody back. They have one of, I think, the best coaches in the country. They're playing a tough schedule. They know how to do this now. They've done this before. Go with Oklahoma. I think think in that environment, in Orlando, where, like I've said a lot now in the last five minutes, it's just horrible. Sorry, I, I don't like Orlando. It's horrible. It's so hot. The, the, yeah, I don't like it. They're 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 good for that. Like that's the exactly the sort of environment that Oklahoma wants to be in. They want it to be ugly and uncomfortable and nasty and horrible. Like I, I think is a great setup for Oklahoma. I think it's great that everyone keeps like forgetting about them. I think it's great that they were they're ranked four behind three teams who are not bringing back what they had last year or didn't make it as far as they did. Like, I think this is a great setup for Oklahoma. I'm going with Oklahoma. Look, I mean, you make a great case. I don't disagree with anything, right? I mean, this is a team that just has the charisma. It has the X factor in a way that other teams just don't. And if you're betting Oklahoma to win this, you're betting for all the reasons Ethan just talked about, you're throwing out the UTRs and the line by line calculus and Look, you make a great case. I could absolutely see that happening. It's a tough, tough team. And you're right. We don't need to get into it, but Orlando is tough as well. <laughs> yeah, and 
and I bet like a UNC team is looking at that Oklahoma team and going like, yeah, maybe we're better, but like, I don't really want to have to deal with them. No one wants to, right? <laughs> exactly. Like, 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 yeah, maybe we have a more talented roster, but, like, but I don't want, I don't want to deal with that for three, four hours. Like no. that's not going to be very fun, right? Yeah. It's, Oklahoma manages to make things nasty and dirty. And it's more than just tennis. It's You're competing with a whole team the entire time. And yeah, now they know how to do it, right? Yeah. They, they, like I said, they played the last match last year, you know. So when experience meets opportunity and talent and all that, I, yeah, Oklahoma. All right. Well, well, we will have to see. It's going to be a really fun season on the women's side. Let's shift yeah. gears. Men's side. I know you're going Virginia. I'm going Virginia. I think we even have the same, you know, if healthy, Texas is the finalist. Yeah. Yep. So uh, we'll end on this because I think this is actually a more interesting question. A lot of talk right now about Michigan and Ohio State on yep. the men's side, two of the top four teams, five teams. Who goes further and um, where do they end their season? Uh, I'm going with Michigan. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I think Michigan. So Michigan to me is like the safer bet. You, Michigan at this point, You've now seen the same cast of characters for a while, and they were right there last year with Ohio State. They got they beat Ohio State twice. They lost Ohio State twice, but they beat Ohio State twice. They can compete in their conference. I think those two teams might be the two teams that you have to be most afraid of at indoors, right? Like if, if yeah. those two teams play in the final of indoors, I won't be shocked at all. Totally. I think Michigan is a little bit. I, I can bet on, I trust them more, hmm. right? Like I just trust that cast of characters a little bit more. I, I think even though as a program, they haven't been there like Ohio state has. Uh, yeah. But in the last couple of years, they're, they're, they're getting there, you know, yeah. they semied indoors, they quartered, uh, NCAAs. They won their conference tournament last year. Like the, the reps are beginning to get there. <sighs> I think this this year on the men's side is going to be funny. I think we're going to see a surprise team in the final. I think I think UVA, to me, UVA is the closest thing to a complete team this year, which is why, yeah. bias aside, right, uh, I just, it's easier for me to trust that, like that lineup, because it's very similar to the one that, to the one that won last year. And they're, the, I think, the closest to having like a full six guys. And I think their top five is as good as anyone. I think Michigan's pretty close in that conversation. Like Michigan's a pretty complete team. They, yeah. It's a pretty similar cast of characters. They know how to win. They know how to win in bad environments. They know how to win in good environments. My concern with Michigan and Ohio State is Orlando. Yeah, <laughs> I totally. like you know yeah. the the Ohio State team. I'll never forget it. in In 2019, the Ohio State team with JJ Wolf, and John McNabb, that team was unbelievable i mean they st- they steamrolled us at indoors they steamrolled everyone at indoors they were really really good and i really think it was kind of orlando that got them like i i just think the middle of their lineup that year didn't it didn't work in orlando i think they're better now outside but i still worry about some of those characters in orlando in a really high pressure environment in the middle of the day with high humidity, with slow balls that, you know, puff up like this, cause it gets super humid. You know, I, I just, both of those teams I, I worry about, I think this is a, this is a year where 
it's very likely, I think, that you see a team who's more comfortable in those conditions who can make a deeper run. Like we saw Georgia a few years ago beat a UNC team that almost all of us had sort of penciled as a national finalist at least, especially yeah. after they won indoors. But Georgia, I think, was healthier and more comfortable in the environment and they won that match, yep. right? Like, I, I think this is this is another year where Ohio State and Michigan, are they capable of winning a national title? Sure. If they win a national title, it won't be shocking. Right. I just... I don't know if if Orlando is the right environment. If they were in Champaign, I'd feel a lot better about them. Yeah, it's tough to bet on the circumstances here, right? Yeah. On but on paper though, that Michigan team, you're right, it's very complete. It is deep, has all the right pieces. It's a very talented team. So and gonna be te- gonna be tested, gonna be tested. Yeah, familiar but- with the environment, like you know, not not a national championship match, maybe, but that Ohio State Michigan match or when they got moved match. inside. That Ohio State-Michigan match when they got moved inside last year at NCAAs was as good an environment and as wild an environment really as any of the other matches at NCAAs were, including the finals. Yeah. Right? Like, you know who got they, to see that team up, uh, that match up close? The Florida men. No, oh, yes. The Florida men watched <laughs> watched every final second of it. And uh, yeah, they deserve flowers and a card from the UVA men's Tennessee for that. But yeah, it, that, that team... They're experienced enough. I just I worry about situationally Orlando and yeah, could they wind up with a night match where it winds up being less of a factor? Absolutely. But that's now you're talking about betting on something random. Totally. Right. So, yeah, I'd I'd much prefer uh, a healthy Texas, a UVA team, a Georgia team if they get their current sort of struggles figured out. You know, I'm curious to see what happens with Stanford when they're fully. There are a lot of teams who I think will be better suited to Orlando in mid to late May you know, with a lot of pressure on than Ohio State, Michigan. I don't think they're they're the best suited to that environment. I think fair. I think I've made you know similar points as well. I, I agree with you. So we'll have to revisit these in the end of season wrap up pod. We'll see who gets the better of each other there. And the 2023 season, it begins it's here. It here, is here. Finally. Ethan, I know you're excited for Virginia to kick off the season. I know you still have 10 days left of rest. Yes. I know you're still in your first year of law school. How many times do you think you'll get out to Charlottesville? Uh, I'm hoping to get down there for the Ohio state match. Okay. Um, we'll have you know, some boots on the ground reporting. Being in DC, I am a drive away from Charlottesville, fortunately. So yeah, hoping to get down there for, for that match. I was planning on going down for the Kentucky match, which is less exciting now with no, with no, uh, Gabe Diallo and then yeah sporadically hopefully throughout the spring you know pop down for some ACC matches and then there you go. yeah my my uh, my final exam is my actual final final exam is uh, early mid-May so if UVA is making a run in Orlando I will be on site that's perfect you can, timing you can guarantee it I'll be uh, I'll be in person here for the Stanford women boots on the ground you'll be in Charlottesville get some of the men's action but with that Ethan Thanks for doing this. Glad you could dip your toes back in in 2023, get back on the pod. And um, I hope everyone else has a, a great ha- still start to their new year. Enjoy some of the college tennis action and, and we'll be back soon. Thanks everyone. For sure.